0: What kind of mythical powers does the Sun Belt have? we got to consider that.
1: It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good.
2: Jaborski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of
1: athletic ability. Welcome to the RotoWire College Football Podcast. Dick Whalen here with John McKechnie. It is Wednesday, October 23rd. We head into week nine of the college football season. John, we got our Force Factor sponsorship pulled. Um, I heard from the guys over there. They said we were just, we were too big of wussies. Yeah. We, we weren't ready for Force Factor. Our we, T-levels
2: were less than our father's and less than our grandfather's T-levels as well. So, I mean, once they found that out, they were, they were quick mm-hmm. to pull the plug on us. And, you know, I, I was caught watching the Great British Bake Off over the weekend. And I mm-hmm. think that that really uh, incensed them into a rage. So partially my fault there. Yep. Uh, I apologize to you um, and the sponsors. I hope they don't beat me up after this.
1: Yep. I think they got a look at the jeans I was wearing over the weekend. They were a little too skinny, and that was kind of the final straw. But good news, we have a new unofficial sponsor that has no idea. We're sponsored by them. Flex Tape. There we go. Flex Tape. Slap it on, brother. You can build a boat with Flex Tape. And you can um, saw that sucker in half. I would... Uh, in 100% honesty i would re- i would estimate that over the past year we have probably watched 6 hours worth of flex tape infomercials in the office alone
2: minimum yeah minimum. We, we we get our brains exposed to an insane amount of advertising every day and and that is one that stands mm-hmm. out but it's also one that you know, despite having seen it hundreds and hundreds of times at this point, I don't hate when that uh, when that uh, infomercial comes no. out compared to some of the other ones. So
1: it just makes me miss Billy Mays. That's kind of it because yeah. he would have been so perfect for Flex Tape.
2: Can you imagine? Yeah,
1: I'm working on a sponsorship with uh, Tack Glasses for the future. Okay, features. that's so, next. Yeah, those are the glasses that allow you to see a bald eagle with an American flag whenever <laughs> you glance to the left. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, so last week on this podcast, we did a a postmortem for the Georgia Bulldogs i reveled in that i chuckled a little bit Mm. Uh, i wouldn't say i took pleasure in your pain but i you know i kind of tried to talk you off the ledge never thinking that it could happen to me never and of course wisconsin football wisconsin sports (laughs) yeah it's never happened in the past this is the first time there's ever been a crushing defeat at the hands of an inferior opponent I had myself a weekend so as I, I don't know if I laid this out on the pod last week this, this might have happened after we recorded, but I got uninvited from a wedding that I was supposed to go to due to capacity reasons I'm just being dramatic but um so I watched the game by myself at my girlfriend's parents' house while she and her family were at the wedding oh. that I was supposed to go to <laughs> so I'm like they're like yeah text me updates you know, heard her dad and uh, two brothers are, are Wisconsin alums so they're they're big on the game as well so I'm thinking like okay maybe I kind of won out here like they have to go to this wasn't the reception they are going to the ceremony so they had to go to church. Uh, mid-badger game and i'm like this is great i just get to stay home and watch and essentially as soon as they left i think it was 20 to 6 when they left uh, the badgers just immediately blew the game and i'm texting my girlfriend updates to give to her brothers she thinks i'm kidding the whole time <laughs> i would too I, I think i sent somewhere between 40 and 70 puke emojis uh to describe first the jonathan taylor fumble then the jack cone interception Ooh. and then the just complete lack of uh defense from the Wisconsin Badgers on, on the defensive line, which has been so good this year. They had some pressure in the first half, did not keep that up whatsoever in the second. There were just a lot of chunk plays, a lot of gash plays from that Illinois offense, and it, it was unexpected, and I, I tend to be a little bit overdramatic after tough losses like this. We've seen many. Um, I think this is the single worst loss in the modern era of Badger football. In terms of the point spread, in terms of what's on the line this season, in terms of the game coming up in Week 9 in Columbus on Saturday – I don't think there's ever been a worse loss. There've been maybe more crushing losses. There've been maybe more disappointing losses, losses on bigger stages. But in terms of just a pure bad loss, I think this is the worst one that I've seen. Yeah, the the cost of this one is
2: completely outsized compared to the other ones because uh, you know the times that Wisconsin has made the Big Ten championship
1: or whatever in recent years, they've been going up against good Ohio State, good right. Penn I State I, type at teams. At the end of the day, I don't mind losing to those teams. Sure, I, like as much as I dislike Ohio State, like they're better and they have they have better athletes and we're not supposed to win those games but you can't say that about illinois no
2: you cannot i mean illinois is one of those teams that you know i think is routinely nowadays considered among like the worst power five teams you know one that if there was like relegation and not so much like contract stuff like they would not be playing big 10 football and to go down there especially when you have a team that's as good if not better probably than what it had in 2017 and to let this slip away one week away from the Ohio State game it I don't mean to twist the knife too much but like it I wanted to see Madison just like absolutely lit up this weekend it was gonna be so fun to be here for that even though the game's in Columbus it still still would have been an electric Mm -hmm. atmosphere but
1: spin zone now I don't really care that it's an 11 a.m. game. It <laughs> yeah. would be it would be like doubly bad if this was a prime time game. Like now, all of a sudden, we can just get this out of the way. I can kind of watch passively, and if if they lose to Ohio State, it's whatever. You know, the season. It, it, I wouldn't say it's exactly lost. That's the thing. Like the me being overdramatic wants wants to say like I, I'm not even going to watch the team the rest of the year. That's not true. I'm going to watch every game. I'm just like you're going to watch every Georgia game, but you know those those who ha- have chosen um, against God's will to take a more optimistic approach. To looking at this have said it doesn't really matter in the long term for Wisconsin they were going to have to beat Ohio State twice anyway Mm -hmm. once um, on Saturday and once in the Big Ten title game you know I mean there's it's kind of the same case I guess that I laid out to you for why the South Carolina loss at the end of the day maybe doesn't matter and then I rejected it right and then you rejected it I'm doing the same thing yep it, there is a case to be made that if if some other things happen, uh, if things break right for Wisconsin, uh, the most improbable of which would be beating Ohio State twice, but they would also probably need some help now, and that's the thing. It's like, what were the chances of them beating Ohio State in Columbus and then at a neutral site? You know, minimal. But the way that they were looking heading into this Illinois game, you know, you felt at least okay about it, or at sure. least I did, relative to. You know, the talent gap that we've had between uh, Wisconsin and Ohio State in years past, it felt like it was at least somewhat narrowed. And you know, after a game like this, it's hard to have any confidence um, that they're going to go into Columbus and, and give Ohio State a really competitive game. Um, but the, the margin for error, even if they were to win on Saturday, it's, it's really, really tough now. Because, like, I mean, even in the unlikely scenario that Wisconsin goes 12-1, and they beat Ohio State, they beat them again you're still going to look and say, you know, if it's if it's between one loss Wisconsin and some one loss team out of the SEC, the Illinois loss is going to be worse than any other playoff contenders loss would be.
2: And they've, I mean, they've, we've seen this movie before from other Big Ten teams. Yep. Like we've seen it from Ohio State the last, yep. the last two years And Ohio State. I feel like Curry's a little bit more cachet with, with the, um, with the playoff oh, committee. Ten, and yeah. they still looked at uh, last year's Purdue game. And uh the year before his Iowa, Iowa game as yeah. its de facto death sentence. Like yep. they, they were big ten champions both of those years and twelve twelve win, one loss teams. Yep. And nope, sorry, they got left out they got left out of the dance. Yep. So I mean with, with with Wisconsin you figure like it, the odds are even thinner
1: if like Ohio State even has to clear a bar that high. Yep. One of the things I said on the pod last week was for Wisconsin to really truly prove that it belongs in that top tier with Alabama, LSU Ohio State, Oklahoma, and who, who's the other team that I'm missing? Other than other than Ohio State, LSU, uh, Clemson, Clemson. To truly prove that they belong in that tier, they they had to earn their way there. Whereas some of those teams have to prove that they don't belong in that yeah, tier. Yeah. This is one way to prove that you don't belong in that <laughs> tier. This was a definitive: we are not ready to join. You know that that kind of class five or six uh, at the top and disappointing in every way. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't fall further. Honestly, than 13. Uh, in the poll they're still ahead of, of undefeated minnesota all of a sudden that game <laughs> at the end of the year i'm a little bit more worried about um but we can talk about the other games uh in week eight i've i've had enough uh lamenting the wisconsin badgers for now
2: okay all right which where, where do we want to start uh from there penn state michigan
1: yeah, let's start with Penn State-Michigan. Uh, not a lot to say about Ohio State-Northwestern on Friday night. That was a, a complete beatdown. The grass was not nearly as big of a factor as, no, as it we it should have been longer. They be. should,
2: should have um, been playing in a, in a de facto wetlands <laughs> of some sort that they've been growing with the biology department. You're right.
1: Um, so this, this was a relatively close game and one that Michigan had a great chance to tie on the road um before that that drop by bell toward the end of the game which i almost felt like he got bailed out on the live shot because the the camera work was not great and they were, i feel like they were zoomed in too quickly and it didn't look like a drop at first mm-hmm. so you barely just kind of caught the end of the play on that fourth down and it looked like it got batted away and then you see the replay and it's like oh my god that was a <laughs> surefire touchdown and actually a really nice play by shea patterson to step up and feet. get that ball right <laughs> and, and then there were tears on Gun. the sideline and that was all that was all fun and games but this was a game that watching it live um as soon as penn state went up 21-7 it seemed like it was over you know i I think everybody was you know you you saw the barrage of anti-michigan tweets i guess it was 21-0 excuse me penn state and at that point i was thinking like what's the final is this going to be wisconsin all over again you know maybe michigan mounts a a little bit of a feel-good you know meaningless touchdown a couple of those drives in the second half but i was in some ways, impressed I guess by Michigan to not let this one get out of hand. I yeah, think it would takes have been a really easy to road. do that, especially with some of the big plays that Penn State had. You know, you, you didn't really anticipate Michigan being able to slow Penn State down the way they started this game. Um, certainly, no moral victories for Michigan. They're in no position to to bankroll any of those. But I, I honestly think you know, given the situation at the end of that game to put together a long 12 play drive to be in a really really good spot to tie the game on the road and then you know the way college football overtime works who knows what would happen from there uh we could be talking about this michigan team i think in a much different light right now um you know had they been able to convert that fourth down it
2: it feels a little bit like a microcosm of like this this harbaugh era like it good but just a little bit short you know it's just, it just feels like it continues to be that way that the, the fourth down comparison in particular you you remember that one that kind of got them left out of the play or left out of the big 10 championship yep. in 2016 the the jt barrett play it just does feel like this team it has enough talent to win and it has a good enough coaching, but it never seems to align just at the right time. There's always one thing dragging behind the other and it just continues to be that way. And now things are heating up that Mm -hmm. this, that Harbaugh is, you know, sniffing around, you know, potential NFL openings of which there will be a ton and probably some attractive ones. Uh, So I think at this point, it's fair to wonder if this is, if we're looking at the last like month, Mm -hmm. month and a half of uh, Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan.
1: Again, I will say it, this could have been worse, than it it did feel like at least maybe for Harbaugh personally, maybe not for the team overall that like you know if you're if you're a Harbaugh denier, you know like you you at least have to be somewhat proud of, of how this team responded in the second half, because like I said, it really did seem like for a while this was going to be like a forty nine to seven type of game um so Michigan did respond, but I think maybe one of the biggest indictments you can say about this Michigan team, maybe it's Harbaugh, maybe it's Patterson, maybe it's just the the program as a whole over these last four or five years is. Watching that fourth down, even though they're at the three-yard line, I did not think they were getting it, you know? And I think there are a lot of teams, you know, if it's Ohio State on the three-yard line against Penn State, against Michigan, against whoever – I, I would expect Ohio State to pick that up. I would expect oh, yeah. Alabama, Clemson, LSU to convert that. And even though Michigan's talent is close to on par with those teams, they just don't inspire the same confidence that, that some of these other Blue Bud programs do.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. You would like, yeah, applying that thought experiment to those other elite teams. Like, yeah, you would expect uh, like the, those elite programs to get it. And Michigan doesn't really fit that bill.
1: They just they just don't seem to know. They have no identity, and I know that's a, a cliched phrase that's thrown around, especially with this program, but they had a first and goal from the seven to tie the game and a, and really a must-win for everybody in this program, the way we're talking about them. And, you know, there were two runs that really went nowhere, and then they they just kind of had two disjointed pass plays on, on third and fourth. And, you know, you can blame the drop by by Bell, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think the bigger argument is you probably shouldn't be in that situation to have to convert on a fourth down on the road in what was... A pretty impressive whiteout i watched this game in part with my dad who is not a football or college football fan at all and even he multiple times remarked about how impressive it was that they were able to coordinate that
2: i'm glad that they also got not keegan michael key to be the the guest on, on <laughs> who was like, that lady? like no offense to to him he's funny but like it shouldn't be like yeah. that he has the monopoly on every time penn state has game day you know <laughs> i was glad to see even I had, I had no idea who who she was but she uh she was fine i thought she she did a good job up there so i mean
1: uh yeah yeah i was in for it um elsewhere in week eight florida hung on to beat i mean the south carolina may be good now they're they're respectable like that they're a team that you don't want to play <laughs> i think that was a good loss I'm, for I'm
2: speaking for from extreme experience their their defense is good it's fast and then their their offense uh, it's still going to be a few ticks behind, but it can hit on big enough plays on occasion. Tavian Feaster, the Clemson uh, trans graduate transfer, has been running really well of late. Um, they did lose Rico Daddle early in that game, but I think overall that South Carolina team, you know, I think they've kind of reestablished themselves as probably like the third best team in the division. I think going into last year, they were really really hyped up. That that week two game against Georgia was like billed as the game that was going to decide the East and one that people thought that. South Carolina was going to win didn't go that way that time but I mean it We're not that far removed from the South Carolina team being viewed as like a potential top 15 uh, type of team. So maybe it, things are starting to round into form. And like, even though it's probably not going to happen for them this year, the fact that they are starting a true freshman quarterback, it gives you hope that, you know, in mm-hmm. in in 2020 and beyond that they are going to be, you know, a force to be reckoned with, even if that is kind of a tough-ish job, you know, having to recruit against Clemson mm-hmm. and Georgia in that same uh, general area. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, South Carolina trending back up after – you know, a down calendar year, I would say. And then, Flo- yeah, Florida just seems to be that that team that's going to take care of business every single week. They'd- they're impressive. Yeah, they're good. Trask seems to be getting better every single week. Also, seemingly getting larger every single week. Like <laughs> every time I see him, like how freaking big is this guy? Um, and it- and then the next week, he's even bigger. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's ridiculous. And uh, yeah, Florida's defense is awesome. Uh, the skill position play is it's deep it's not it's not like star studded like we've seen in the past but it, it they got a lot of guys that can hurt you in different ways um so yeah the, this sets up right. well they're, they're on the bye this week and then georgia florida pretty much decides the east the week after that so florida looks really really good going into that game
1: do you want to give me the quick like 45 second recap on the rain Bowl in athens um i don't have much to say my friends were miserable my friends all said that they
2: left after like Thirty minutes, just because they like (laughs) did not want to sit in the. It was nighttime, but it was rainy and windy, um, so they all just went to the bar. But I mean, essentially, Georgia's offense continues to be a problem. I do think the defense is like super like extremely legit i think probably a top five defense nationwide shut out a kentucky team that probably wasn't going to score any points just because of what they were working with they were working with a receiver at quarterback for for crying out loud so (laughs) uh but georgia did what it was supposed to basically like a little bit akin to the the patriots comparison right now where it's like that they're you know who have they played type of thing but they're doing exactly what an elite defense would do in those
1: type of circumstances just not giving anything up so defense looks good the offense still looks like it's gonna be a problem so Kentucky, correct me if I'm wrong, Kentucky did not complete a pass in this game until four minutes left, four minutes and 25 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, that is correct. I understand the elements, but, I mean, that is absurd. They were that close to... Re- like, did you watch this full game? Were, like were, were people on edge like, hey, can we complete the shutout? Um, the... I didn't see the the very end
2: of it because I had family in town. So like at a certain point, we went out to dinner and just I know right and and did not uh, catch the very end. So I've just kind of had to piece it together from there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't don't think at any point anyone was was worried about what Kentucky was cooking with on offense.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a combined uh, fifty-two yards passing from Jake Fromm and Lynn Bowden in in this game. Um, Yeah, not a lot to say there. Tennessee, Bama, kind of a similar game I thought to. uh, the LSU-Mississippi State game, both teams took care of business, uh, never really looked to be in too much doubt. Um, Alabama, of course, the, the headliner from this game, losing to uh, he was 11 of 12 for 155 and a pick before he left, got rolled up on, looked like pretty badly um, with the, with the ankle. And now we're just going to kind of go into that. Nick Saban secrecy mode we have no idea when we're going to see Tua again quit asking I think yeah exactly I think um I think we're everybody's hoping to see him for back for the LSU game maybe with the exception of LSU it seems realistic uh but for the time being now we we turn things over to Mac Jones we do so luckily for for Alabama you 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 know this you never say that like an
2: injury is fortuitous, but like it couldn't have come at a better time. Like you get Arkansas this week, which is a bye week, and then they get an actual bye week after that. So, we we're going to see Alabama just maybe revert to you know 2009 to 2015 ish Bama There's just. They're just going to run the hell out of the ball and, and try to get out of Arkansas with with, uh, with no further injuries. So I'm looking for like Najee Harris to just dominate in this one. Maybe some of the other running backs. While Mac Jones just plays the the role of of Jacob Coker back there.
1: <laughs> Jacob Coker is a great comp, and that that is exactly kind of what my thought was. Where it, it just seems crazy that they, that Jacob Coker was starting for Alabama extensively. That seems like forever ago, even though it wasn't. Um, but like you said, I mean, if you were going to lose your Perhaps Heisman leading quarterback at any time. Now is probably said time. Yep. And you know it's really really tough to gauge how severe this is, just because you know of of how um, you know close to the vest Alabama and, and really any team would play a situation like this. But you know when when they showed that shot of Tua, you know maybe getting into an ambulance outside the stadium. I mean that was. <laughs> At that at that point, I was thinking, like we might not see him again, you know, especially a guy who has so much on the line from an n f l perspective he's, he's, he's got very clearly, injuries
2: in the past exactly
1: too. um and i you know, I don't think he would shut it down unless he absolutely has to, but it was you know certainly something that that came to mind at the time, but um, I think Alabama should be able to tread water these next couple of weeks as we as we head into the l s u game Clemson stomps louisville um I, again though, I mean as we talked about last week, this was a game that last year's Clemson team, you think they would roll up fifty nine points yep. and you know they only as i'm doing air quotes get to 45 they only score 17 in the first half um still doesn't quite seem like they're they're humming on all on all cylinders but um and we're you know, running makes, out of weeks at this point right to, for, i know, for exactly. it to, like start clicking
2: yeah but it, this has been our angle all year It has. And yet here we, we're still here late october and they
1: still haven't clicked on all cylinders very true um But with the exception of the North Carolina game, they still haven't been challenged. It hasn't, I mean, they've brought their B game to pretty much every single one of these games on the schedule and it just hasn't mattered. And I mean, do you think that's more of a reflection of how talented they are that they can just kind of throw it on cruise control and be fine or just how bad the rest of the ACC is? I I think it's both. Um, I I think that we're we're seeing a situation where, you know,
2: and we've seen it with good good teams or great teams like this coming off of, of a great year where they can coast a little bit. And we, we've seen that to this point. Um, I, and I think Clemson certainly fits that bill that I don't think that they've really given it their A game, like you were saying, uh, to this point. And then also just the rest of the ACC is really sorry for the most part. And, you know, I credit Louisville a year ago, if this game happened, like you were saying, not only does Clemson mop the floor with them, but like Louisville looks like Uh, irredeemably bad and 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 (laughs) and, uh you know that that was the the sound of the end of the patrino era but under scott satterfield like it looks like louisville is gonna you know actually have be fielding a legitimate program again uh mm-hmm. here pretty soon uh, obviously not not ready just yet but um yeah it go, again it goes to show that the acc um it, it desperately needs clemson football because w- without that this would you know you could like hardly consider it a power five conference you you would probably argue that the american athletic has a better conference top to bottom than than an, a clemsonless acc
1: good spot to be in though if you're the tigers um the pack 12 continues to just be strange week in and week out we saw ucla hand stanford a loss on thursday in uh, front of
2: a, a crowd that wasn't there <laughs> except for those two like old like muppets in the uh in the balcony of the auditorium type of guys in their fur coats yelling about the game but yeah otherwise no one was there
1: yeah, UCLA. I mean, we've been clowning them this entire season, and they're they are very quietly two and two in Pac-12 play, one game out of first place in the Pac-12 South, which is, yeah, I, I think we expect that to be Utah's division. Um, they're you know they're ranked number twelve right now. They're they're I think clearly the best team there. But and based on what we've seen, anything can happen in this conference week to week. We got a great game between Oregon and Washington on yes, Saturday. Yes, that was awesome. Uh, Utah uh, fairly handily beats Arizona State, twenty-one to three. I know you want to talk Oregon State over Cal at Cal. Yeah, good on good on the Beeves,
2: man. Like uh, the Beavs working without Jamar Jefferson. They're, they're week one starting running back. And uh, they also had, a, you know, they won that game on the road where in a game where Isaiah Hodgins, who's kind of been the Mr. Everything of that offense. I think he's one of like the top uh, target getters in the entire NCAA this year. And he's been ridiculously good. Um, He got kind of shut down by, by that Cal defense that that I know has a couple pros in its secondary there. Um, So for Oregon state to win a game where he wasn't going off, I think is really, really impressive. So, uh, Good on uh, Jonathan Smith, I think the Oregon State coach is, uh, whatever his name is. But sure. yeah, they, that's... Uh, that's a bad loss for Cal and a really good win for, for Oregon State, I'd say.
1: I, statistically, if you don't know someone's name, I think guessing John Smith is the yeah, best option, I fe- right? I felt, good, I felt good about that.
2: <laughs> Working um, to confirm. Yeah, was
1: it Jack Schmidt? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, elsewhere in the Pac-12, like we said, uh, Oregon-Washington was was kind of the the one a game of the week i guess to to penn state michigan and for the most part, lived up to the hype, 35-31. Oregon, another Big good comeback. game. Yeah, another good game for Justin Herbert. 24 of 38 for 280. Four touchdowns. Jacob Eason also looked really good in this game, 289 he threw, yards. He threw an absolute
2: dime to uh, this guy. His last name is Chin, I think. It was like a 47-yarder, just absolute target emoji type of oh, yeah, type Oh, Jordan throw. Chin. Jordan Chin, oh, yeah. yeah. That was really yarder. good. And uh, a freshman is starting to emerge for that Washington receiving core. His name is Puka Nakua. And yeah, he looks like a bad, bad man.
1: Washington has the in on these guys that are that have like these Samoan names. Yes. Why they, is that?
2: Uh, I I think it's just a, a regional thing. I think that um, in, in terms of that population, there's a there's a lot of them on on the West Coast, and they seem to be pulling that. I mm-hmm. feel like it's cyclical. We've seen that at USC yep. before. We've seen it at, at Oregon at different times. But uh, yeah, now now Washington seems to be the hot program in the, in that sense. And i would
1: love to bring on a genealogist someday and kind of get to the bottom of this i won't take one of those 23 and me so <laughs> i won't do no, it. absolutely not <laughs> um texas got a scare i was really really hoping that kansas would pull the upset so fewer people would talk about wisconsin losing yeah they were very they were so close to being let off the hook uh but texas came through 26 points in the fourth quarter there were 50 combined points in the fourth quarter between these two teams uh this was a game that i I ended up uh kind of checking out of towards the end and i saw the final score and just assumed it went to overtime and that was not the case um but i'm kind of impressed by kansas in some ways i mean i don't know you talked about illinois you know maybe being the case for the worst power five program over the last five or ten years i think kansas was kind of the holder of that belt for a while oh yeah and you know they haven't exactly done a ton to to reverse that but they've at least been like semi-respectable against Texas and Oklahoma in consecutive games. You know, I mean, I know they lost Oklahoma by four scores, but I mean, they were one of those teams that any week could be a 66 to nothing type of game in the past. And, you know, I mean, not that Indiana state or Boston college are, are the most impressive victories in the world. I know they have an FCS loss on their ledger as well, but you know, Based on the standard of Kansas football, I, I think Les Miles has them at least like inching in the correct direction. Yeah, they yeah he absolutely does.
2: I mean that that win over Boston College earlier in the year was, you know, I I think at first more of an indictment of BC, but as the years gone on and like you're saying with with this past weekend, it goes to show you that this Kansas program seems to have a pulse for like the first time in a, probably a decade. Since the post Geno era. It, it really it's been tough uh, since then, but yeah, I was. I was out, I think I was out after dinner with my dad, and I checked my phone and saw that that Texas was losing, or, or like, only up by, like, a point or two, and I, like, thought that, like, the whiskey was getting to me. Like, I (laughs) I thought that there was a, I'm I'm reading this wrong. yeah, check this this out. You know, the the ESPN app is drunk, not me. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it turned out that I was, and that game was too, actually. But either way, Texas escaped, but, man, I mean, we continue to see uh, Tom Herman maybe being a little bit of a disappointment at texas i mean all things considered I, so. I mean for a team that that everyone was kind of pegging as as one to probably yeah. probably win the big 12 uh coming into the year or at least it was yeah. like 50 50 between them and ou it's pretty clear who's who's top dog there still and and texas i think it's is Kansas, yeah. working for <laughs> working for that number two spot but i think that there are other teams in the big 12 that are as good as texas and i, I could see one or two more uh, conference losses for texas mm-hmm. before this year's uh, all said and done
1: all right. Tell me if this is a, a dumb question, but is it possible that Saban and Dabo have set the bar too high where you bring in a big coach like Tom Herman or Kirby Smart, and if you don't go undefeated and immediately start running the table and, you know, you're bringing in these top three, top five recruiting classes and, you know, they're not translating to national title after national title like they are for, for Alabama and Clemson. I, I mean, I, Georgia has been a great, great program over the last few years. Texas maybe not quite so much, but you know certainly more respectable than they were five or six years ago. It's like still like a top like five program overall. Like if you were right. to go coach somewhere type of thing. Right. I mean, I is it? Do you think it's fair to say that the bar has been set too high by those guys? It's it seems like it because yeah. I mean we we've seen
2: it's either been Bama or Clemson for the better part of this last yeah. half decade, and, and Bama has been a huge part of it for, since two thousand nine. Yeah, I mean t- teams that. Programs that have a certain esteem for themselves, Georgia's one of them, Michigan's certainly one of them, Texas now, uh, we see a situation where that uh, that expectation that, okay, we, we've done everything, we've gotten this coach that's supposed to be mm-hmm. the best, we've gotten, we've gotten these recruiting classes that are supposed to be the best, why aren't we winning national championships? Yeah. We're following Bama's formula, yes. we're following Clemson's formula, and we're not getting the same yes. results.
1: Exactly. I think it's very easy to say, well, this guy's doing it. If you don't do it, then you're out. You know, And I, I think that's... In the past, maybe led to some some rash um, firings and and in some ways some outsized expectations. You know, I think people, you know, people celebrated the the Tom Herman acquisition as kind of like the final piece. You know, like yeah. this, this is finally it. We're finally ready, and now we're just never going to lose a game again. And I mean, part of it too is just the level of competition. You know, I mean, obviously a loss to Kansas would have been a different story, but you can't be upset about losing to an LSU team that might be the best in the country and an Oklahoma team that could very well be the second or third best team. In the yeah, country. I
2: mean, we, we see a situation here where, you know, I think to your larger point here, maybe Texas does get into another New Year's Six bowl game for, for the second year in a row. And they're, they're not in the playoff, obviously, but that they, they get one of those premier, you know, cotton bowl or, or sugar bowl type of, forcible, t- right. t- type of finishes. And
1: the outsized expectations still tell you that that's not enough anymore. That exactly. you have to get to the playoff. I will say, and this is you know by no means an original opinion, but the playoff has devalued the bowls. Oh, for God, sure, yeah. for sure. I mean, it's just it's not exciting to being in the Rose Bowl. You know, for Wisconsin, even as an example, you know, like that was a huge deal in 2011 through 2014, <laughs> 13. I don't We made a lot of Rose Bowls, lost them all, but that was a big deal. And now it just no matter what the program is, whether unless you're a team like a you know, I don't know. I mean a Kansas, I guess, just to use that example. A team that hasn't been there before, like it's still a big deal for that program to get to a New Year's Six Bowl. But if you're one of these one of these teams, it doesn't even, it doesn't even have to be, you know, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. I mean, teams that view themselves as kind of above that as playoff true playoff contenders, if you're not in that top four. Even if you finish fifth, it feels like a massive disappointment.
2: Yeah, it feels like a total consolation prize. I'll take uh, the baton and run with it. That's why Georgia lost to Texas in the Sugar Bowl last year coming off the national championship season, not making the playoff. Yeah, who cares? Who cares about that game? And and like you said... the we haven't been there before type of thing it doesn't super apply to texas but it applies under that tom mm-hmm. herman regime after sort of a rocky ish year one jumping in jumping up uh and kind of using that that win against georgia and the sugar bowl as sort of a launching point going yep. into 2019 i think that that was part uh, baked in partially into the hype going into the season for texas so yep. yeah it does generally seem to devalue but it, it can serve
1: it as like that uh, a bit of a launching point a, a little bit too depending mm-hmm. on the team um, anything else you want to recap from Week Eight before we look ahead a little bit?
2: Um, shame on you, Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. Shame on you, Kelly Bryant. Um, bad, bad. Why'd you lose to Vanderbilt? I uh, had a lot of Missouri in my lineups. They, they did okay, but uh, certainly not not as well as I was expecting against a Vanderbilt team that got absolutely housed by UNLV uh, at home the week prior. And Derek Mason had had an
1: awesome <laughs> post.
2: Yeah, that guy was pissed, and that guy was. <laughs> yeah he, he's like you you gotta want this job and he, you know basically admitting like this job is
1: awful and i'm yeah, torturing like,
2: myself and i'm here for it
1: yes exactly that was one of the better just like get off my back please without actually explicitly saying that um conferences we've heard in a while uh baylor very quietly i feel like has moved to 7-0 and yeah baby i mean this was expected to be maybe their toughest test so far took care of oklahoma state they're 4-0 in the big 12 what's the ceiling for baylor though I think that they can make the Big 12 championship game. Uh, they, they play
2: a style that uh, they sort of taken the baton from TCU from a couple of years ago where TCU played in such a different way from the rest of the Big 12 that it was just tougher to play them, tough to prepare for because you haven't seen that that level of defense. Yeah. Tank Carter. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So like, I think that they, they've kind of fit that. I think Matt Rule has kind of brought that Temple toughness uh, down to Waco and yeah Baylor's defense is not to be trifled with it. They, they really made uh, Spencer Sanders look like a freshman this past weekend and the the offense it's not great it's not as explosive as it was you know under under Bryce Petty or anything like that but um, it's competent and it's efficient and it gets the job done so um, Baylor is not an easy out that's going to be you know if you're If you're Texas and OU, that's a game that you now have circled as one that, you know, you really have to kind of get up for. You can't just
1: walk into that one expecting to win. You have to be ready to win. Mm -hmm. So you have here on our our little sheet asking who is the best one loss team now in the country? The candidates, I think, are Georgia, Florida, Auburn, uh, some would say Wisconsin, Notre Dame or Oregon it's a tough one man i think i think that there are legitimate cases for most if not all of
2: them i think notre dame is the highest ranked right now out out of the group even though that they've they lost to one of these teams so um, i'm not sure how much I. florida is seven notre dame is eight okay all right so the florida the top i would say that florida has the easy it's easiest to point to them as the best they have the best loss by far um, go, going ahead and losing to LSU in Death Valley when Coach O said "Where your dreams come to die," I mean that that, that was game over from the start. So no no blame to Champagne, no Champagne, Illinois. No shame or blame for for Florida there. Uh, Georgia losing to South Carolina I think exposed a lot of flaws and in, in them not really getting them right even with the weather conditions this past weekend we just haven't seen that offense really take off yeah. um, so I think that they're a cut below Auburn still really don't know what to make of Auburn at this point because the the Florida game is really kind of stuck in my in my brain as one that uh, showed Bo Nix mm-hmm. to be a true really a true freshman quarterback but that that defensive front isn't going anywhere. It's still just absolutely nasty. Uh, the run game was able to get going even without uh, Booby Whitlow this past weekend. Uh, maybe Nick's continues to develop. So Auburn, it, Auburn is one of those teams that you wouldn't say is the best of this group, but you you
1: could make the argument that like you want to play them the least type of thing. Um, and, I think you could almost say that about Florida too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's tough to say a team on its backup quarterback, you know, is the is the best of this group, but they have they really haven't given us too much reason to to pick against them. I mean, these teams are all so close. Looking at the rankings, teams 7 through 13 all have one loss. Florida, Notre Dame, Auburn, Georgia, Oregon, Utah maybe belongs in this conversation, and then Wisconsin at 13. Okay.
2: Yeah, so the, this is, you know, really really bunched up. So, you know, we we've been talking about that upper crust cluster of undefeated teams uh, for the last couple of weeks and how deep it was. And now a couple of these teams are, are slipping up. Um, but now we're seeing extremely quality, like, you know, borderline top five quality teams here with one loss. So uh, there's a lot to choose from here. Uh, Wisconsin, man, like they sh- if you take away the,
1: the performance from Saturday, you would say that they're a top five team, but you can't. So, everything all the nice things that everyone was saying about this defense i mean they were on pace to maybe be the best defense ever in college football given the the third down conversion percentage the passing yards allowed touchdowns allowed all that that went out the window i mean they got shredded by a terrible terrible illinois team
2: reggie corbin
1: uh gonzaga college high school alumni king yeah i mean sure i (laughs) i don't i have no answers i mean peters completed nine passes for 174 yards that's a lot of yards that's like very few completions and that's many yards that is a lot per completion right (laughs) if my math serves me like almost 20 yards per completion mike
2: to like i don't know yeah
1: mikey dudek isn't running around there and he might be one thing if you're getting shredded by by dudek and aurelius ben but And, and uh geronimo yeah oh well i don't know if we can talk about him on this podcast (laughs) but now uh yeah we basically have
2: usc's b team playing receiver for illinois like they had a bunch of usc transfers come over and make impacts so that's that's how that's cooking along and then Mm -hmm. oregon i i continue to harp on this i love how they're built i love how they basically have an sec offensive Mm -hmm. line playing up there in the pacific northwest and Herbert, I'm not his biggest fan, but he he's starting to convince me to come around on him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a freshman, Micah Pittman, who's Michael Pittman's brother and Been wondering about or, that. original Michael Pittman's son, okay. uh, of course. Um, so he looks really really impressive. I think he had a touchdown this past weekend down the left sideline. That was awesome. Uh, that was really good. Uh, Jalen Red is like an interesting player. Uh, they did lose Jacob Breland, their their number one tight end, they, who had like eight touchdowns through the first seven games or whatever. On the defense really, really nasty too. Troy die. And they have some corners that I, I forget their names. They're not household names just yet, but their corners are nasty as well. So Oregon, another team that you certainly wouldn't want to play and would rightfully be, you know, in that top six, probably had they not slipped up against Auburn.
1: Let's look ahead to week nine, wisconsin ohio state is the uh big noon saturday whatever they want to call it game uh, that's at 11 a.m on fox auburn lsu i think is by far the headliner this week that's going to be a really fun game uh, but we also get notre dame michigan and I, I know you know michigan everybody's down on them we've we talked extensively about them earlier in the pod but should still be a fun game at michigan um you know i think notre dame kind of in search of of another signature win and you can quibble about whether Michigan even counts as that at this point, but you know they're a top twenty team, and and I think that's going to be kind of the the other marquee game to keep an eye on, um, at least in the night slate. But the other thing too, we have Mac Jones get a look at him in in, in a starting role against Arkansas. Um, you know, I know I know you, we're we're all pretty low on Arkansas more than maybe we are high on Mac Jones. Um, but what what are you keeping an eye on? Anything outside of these kind of obvious ones in Week Nine? Oh uh, yeah, th- those are definitely the the headliners. Um, I think SMU,
2: Houston, a little Thursday night action. If the if the Redskins Vikings game bores you, that that could be fun. SMU continues to roll on. I think they're inside the top twenty now um, in the in the rankings, and they they continue to look uh, pretty impressive. There, um, we got. Oh, we got a, a handful of other games. I mean, Penn State, Michigan State will be ugly, but it's it's a game worth worth keeping an eye on just because Michigan State can can ugly it mm-hmm. up here, and you know maybe Penn State coming off that that huge emotional win uh, could be in slip up territory, so that they're going to need to watch out for that. Uh, UNC Duke. Oh, this is uh, this is football.
1: Sorry. Um, and then yeah, I mean those those are I think you hit on the main ones yeah, there. Bucks Rockets also on Thursday night. That should be fun. <laughs> All right, let's look at the DFS slate. For week nine. Oh wait you, te- you teed me up for one and I, I glossed over it oh, we, were ju-
2: we were just talking about oregon oregon washington state is like maybe the best pack 12 after dark game that we're going to get all year so i mean in terms of matchup i mean i don't think it can get any better or weirder than wazoo ucla but this is gonna be sweet i mean this is strength on strength this is yep. oregon top 10 defense versus wazoo top 10 offense we still have an over under of 65 uh it's at night it's at aughtson it's gonna be
1: nuts over under of 64 and a half in that game and as as the Pac-12 has taught us, I mean, I Oregon should win this game fairly comfortably, you would think, but I have no doubt that there will be some sort of hijinks at, at some point in this game.
2: You think you know but you have no
1: idea. All right, let's do DFS. Um we'll start with the quarterback spot. What do you think about that? Um so Get this a w- crazy.
2: This week it's not as deep as last week's or I think last week I'm I'm I was maybe a little bit overboard on on Wednesday of last week as far as how many quarterbacks I like. I kind of tightened my focus as as Saturday came up. I probably only used four different quarterbacks um, in the main slate. Um, But this week, looking at the top tier, Jalen Hurts versus Kansas State, only concern about him um, would be that Kansas State can kind of really slow the game down. They run... Uh, a similar amount of plays as OU, but OU, like you can't really take that into account because they they go so many yards per play that it's not like a tempo issue with them. But K-State, you could certainly see them trying to just squat on the ball when they have it um, and, and run it. So we could see, you know, less than optimal conditions as far as possessions go for OU. but. If you if you go like just hurts as a one off or hurts as your super flex, uh, I did that a lot last week and just kind of left the rest of that offense alone. Um, that'd be fine. It's probably a decent buying opportunity for Ceedee Lamb mm-hmm. after after last weekend. Um, Joe Burrow against Auburn. I think that there are too many other quarterbacks with good matchups to where like I probably won't get get a ton of Burrow obviously he's he's reached that stage where you can't enter in your lineups for Saturday and not at least have one Joe Burrow share just Mm. because you know how ridiculous it is and they're going to be getting uh, Terrace Marshall back he's been out with with that foot injury since the Vanderbilt game but he's supposed to be back so that's really good for them Uh, Justin Fields 8100 he's also interesting because of how good Wisconsin's defense is but Fields, you know, he he might be one of those guys where the matchup doesn't really matter either, no matter how good the opposing defense is. So uh, really like the,
1: those three, the top tier is as strong as it always mm-hmm. is. It's it's looking really good. Um, Yeah, I mean, the Wisconsin defense is still second overall, you know, against quarterbacks. And, you know, it's, it's easy to be a little too reactionary. I don't want to speak for anyone in particular. But, no, of course uh, not. I, th- I think Justin Fields would be okay against that defense based on what Illinois was able to do. Uh, anybody you like kind of looking beyond that top three of Hurts, Burrow, and Fields? Yeah, so the- there's a lot to like
2: when, when you get to 8,000 and down. Uh, Sam Ellinger, um, 7,900 going up against TCU. It's on the road, but uh, I really like Ellinger, and-, and he's like he's one of those guys that, that I like to look for where he's kind of like Hurts a little bit, where he's maybe the best rushing option that his team has in addition to being a really good quarterback. So we see that with Ellinger. Uh, got some really, really talented weapons uh, from Brennan Eagles, Devin DuVernay, Colin Johnson, uh, now back in the mix. So a lot to like uh, in terms of who he's throwing to. Love Kellen Mond this week as a bounce-back candidate as well. He's 7,300. He's at home. He's got some pretty extreme uh, home road splits, and you know he kind of burned a lot of people last weekend at all Miss. Kind of a disappointing game. Um, and when i say burned people i I, sp- I always just speak from experience when i say that he, he tanked one of my lineups in in the night slate um, but ellinger did certainly did not um, but uh, yeah i think this sets up really well for mond um, miss state one of the worst defenses once we've gotten into the conference play in the sec that um, i think they allow the second most passing yards per game in the sec against sec opponents uh, and the third highest quarterback rating Um, We also uh, see where, again, Mond much better at home than he is on the road. I think it's eight to two touchdown interception ratio at home. Uh, So that's really strong. So keep an eye for him. Plus, he can run a lot. So, yeah, I think that he's a great play at 7,300. I'll probably make of several lineups with Ellinger and Mond as my quarterback, save a little bit of money off of that top tier. Um, Moving down the list, uh, Sam Howell uh, from, from... North Carolina, 7,100 going up against Duke. Got some Sam Howell facts here for you. Uh, multiple touchdown passes in every game this season. Oh. Uh, over 300 yards in three of his last four games. So, so it's not just the goosing of numbers from the six overtime game that we didn't even get into. Because I, I don't even know if that was like played on this planet. But uh, yeah, UNC Virginia Tech, six overtimes, just ridiculous. Um, and then I also have some Chuck Norris facts here for you. Because the Sam Halifax are the, are the direct right. cousins. it is
1: 2008. Let's go. <laughs> Drafts
2: were created when Chuck Norris uppercutted a horse. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> people really used to think these were funny. Like, really funny. I'm laughing at them
2: right now. <laughs> and I got one more. Chuck Norris threw a grenade and it killed
1: 50 people. Then it exploded. <sighs> You should put, make that your Facebook status and that people are going to eat that up, it, especially in 2019. Uh, but yeah, Sam
2: Howell going up against Duke. Um, I like both quarterbacks in that game. I, I would consider it a game stack uh, with Howell and Quentin Harris on the other side um, as your quarterback in super flex. That, that'd be one way of going about it. We got a not a great over under to do that, but um, I think the over is definitely in the realm of possibility this in this one. I think it's only 55. That feels a little bit low to me. Mm-hmm. Um, big question. Can Khalil Tate bounce back? Negative 0.82 points last week. So I don't even know what was going on there, but that is that is some insane stuff from Khalil Tate.
1: Has anyone ever gone from was he the Heisman one of the favorites going into last year? Probably not the favorite, but top three. He he was going into last season.
2: If anyone wanted to like get get cute but not too cute, like outside of like the blue or a non-blue blood quarterback program type of guy it was khalil tate every time and he was the consensus number one overall fantasy guy like no questions asked
1: uh, what happened like has anyone ever gone from that level of hype to just i mean falling off the, i mean negative dfs performances uh, i not that i've seen
2: uh, it is especially since following uh, like college fantasy football I'd, i've not seen anything like this before but you know obviously he's not someone that you can really count on anymore so uh, that's too bad because he used to be really awesome um Looking elsewhere, I think you can also use Tanner Morgan, uh sixty three hundred going up against Maryland. Mi- Minnesota tenth in SP in on offense in the country of America. That is it's disgusting. Minnesota. It's How are you doing it? How are they doing it? But yeah, they're going up against Maryland. Maryland not very good, especially against the pass. Um, so you can imagine that that Morgan at sixty three hundred ends up doing well. You don't expect like a high volume in terms of like the the passing attempts and maybe maybe the passing yards suffer a little bit there but tyler johnson and rashad bateman I, I think that you can i would take the over on two and a half touchdowns from tanner morgan in this game and and feel pretty good about it so at least there's that of um, course minnesota has a quarterback named tanner is really is that like a thing that, that's been with them
1: no no it's just a very minnesota quarterback name okay tanner right. yeah you know, you're not gonna find a lot of tanners um you know hucking the ball in the sec um, let's look at the running backs. I just don't. I just can't say nice things about Minnesota. That's what it comes down I, to. I like that. I refuse to accept that. I, res- I respect grudges a lot. Yep. Thank you. Uh, let's take a look at the top tier of running backs on DraftKings. Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think his Heisman case is all but all but over after last week. I mean, not only having a pedestrian game against that Illinois defense, but then coughing up an extremely costly fumble uh, late in the game that that led directly to an Illinois score. He remains the highest priced player on the slate despite going up against a really, really tough Ohio State defense on the road. He's at 8500 Chuba Hubbard at 8300 Then we get a little bit of a, a fall off down to J.K. Dobbins at 7600 Then you get Akers at 7500 Those guys round up the top four. They're the only four priced over $7,000. Uh, what is the argument for Jonathan Taylor this week?
2: So it, there's a lot going against him, and I think that the um, you know, you look at this Ohio State defense, like you said, it's it's now number one in S and P. It allows literally point three yards per rush attempt. Like that is Had some scary stuff there. Um, But when it comes to Taylor, I think a lot of people probably have a bitter taste in their mouth from from last week's game. So I think that that might drive down the ownership. I think the price um, also should should kind of drive down the ownership that when they would see, oh, why wouldn't I just go after Chuba Hubbard against Iowa State instead and save like a couple hundred bucks? This is the cheapest that we've seen Taylor on DraftKings thus far this year. Um, And also, I mean, just the usage. The usage is so good. 25 carries a game against Big Ten opponents. One of these, you figure, is he'll be able to break. So I think that just the sheer amount of volume plus the potential of getting Taylor at like under 20% ownership in a tournament. He's again, not someone that I'm going to be uh, getting more than half of my line in, in that more than half of my lineups, but I'm going to have at least one or two just to, just to test it out because I, I think that um, the odds of him getting completely shut down in the game that, where Wisconsin needs him more than ever, I think mm. are pretty slim. So it, it's going to be tough from that Ohio State defense, but I think the the volume over the course of the game will probably get him over that that hundred yard mark. Maybe get a touchdown too on top of it. So you're not quite as optimistic on Chuba. Uh, Chuba, I, I like, but um, I'm I might stay away. Um, I think that this. So oklahoma state offense is at risk of kind of imploding a little bit that this week going up against iowa state on the road true freshman quarterback so maybe they they are probably going to ride chuba a lot i mean we've seen mm-hmm. just an insane uh workload for him even like jonathan taylor probably thinks that oklahoma state gives him too many carries so uh it's been like 32 carries a game outside of outside of fcs competition uh for for him so I think maybe over the course of the game, similar cases, Taylor, uh he will end up getting his. Um, but in Iowa State, just to like point out um how good that they've been and to not undersell it, uh best run defense by fantasy points against running backs in the Big Twelve. So that they're they're nothing really to mess with. And they're mm-hmm. they're probably ready for they're probably yeah,
1: looking at Chuba and trying to trying to shut him down first and make Spencer Sanders beat them. Mm-hmm. So two guys in that upper mid tier, uh Cam Akers at seventy five and Brees Hall at sixty five. Both pretty advantageous matchups, and, and both prices I, I know that you think are probably a little too low. Yes. So, the, this is the last that we'll see Brees Hall under under 7,000 this year. I can pretty
2: much, I'll go ahead and, and say that. Um, he's. A monster we've been waiting for iowa state to figure out its run game it finally did two weeks ago when it when it let hall have like 26 carries against west virginia He had three touchdowns and then he went off again this past weekend so uh this week going up against that that oklahoma state defense i think it sets up really well oklahoma state's defense even uh looked bad against baylor's run game which hasn't been all that effective thus far uh acres also Pretty blatant misprice. I mean, 22 carries a game for a guy that talented going up against Syracuse. Syracuse's worst run defense in the in the ACC, giving up six yards per carry against ACC opponents. So, I just think that the Syracuse defense is pretty toothless, and I think that there isn't really a whole lot else in this Florida State offense to get excited about. So, mm-hmm. we're going to see Acres get fed a lot. He's probably my favorite play um, above 7K on among these running backs. Is it fair to call him like the new age Fournette? he he is very similar he had that that sort of like mythos about yep. him coming in uh to school and uh fournette delivered on it s- much sooner th- than acres did acres pretty bad those first two years but yeah. he's been he's been really good this year so he's mm-hmm. kind of got the that post-hype fournette type of feel Yeah, to him.
1: Fournette very quietly second in the nfl in rushing right? yeah now, man too. let's go um all right bargain bin at the running back position um I'll i just kind of let you talk about these Minnesota guys while I cover my ears. Okay, so uh,
2: Maryland better against the run than it is against the pass, but Minnesota does run it a lot. So Rodney Smith six thousand, um, he's he's you know appealing at six k, and you, you figure the ownership's not going to be too crazy on him. Uh, same with Mo Ibrahim, um, he's the backup to rodney smith in this backfield figure he's going to get a fair bit of work um and he's just 5500 so if if that ends up being the case then then you're saving 500 bucks and, and getting some good production there um i think Isaiah spiller of texas a and m 5400 going up against miss state miss state has been gashed on the ground by a lot of a lot of teams this year pretty unimposing as far as uh, that run defense goes uh there's also very little competition for carries in that backfield anymore. It seems like Jacob Kabadi has kind of dropped off of the face of the earth. Um, the only real competition for carries for Spiller um, would be Kellen Mond. Uh, so you worry about the vulturing at the goal line. Maybe you, you could do like a, almost like a run game stack of Texas A&M guys, go with Mond, uh, go with Spiller, because you got to figure that both of those guys uh, could see some, some goal line work there. So looking at some other kind of tournament-only type of options, I think Javin Leak is kind of interesting. He's 5,200, um, which is not cheap for a guy who won't be starting. It looks like Anthony McFarland is going to be back for Maryland. Um, and I think because you're not getting any sort of discount on Leak, we're going to see his ownership percentage be under like 10%, probably even less than that, honestly, going up against Minnesota in a game where Maryland's probably going to – you know, they're they might be trailing a lot, so that that shifts how much they're going to be able to run it. But Leak, really, really explosive player. So if he if he can you know bust off one of his long runs like he's been doing uh, throughout the course of the season, maybe he's worth like that tournament dart at fifty two hundred. Um, and then Javante Williams at at UNC has also looked really good on, on the North Carolina north carolina side of things so going up against duke i think sets up pretty well for him but you do have to acknowledge that they use a pretty deep uh running back
1: uh rotation down there in chapel hill okay let's turn to the receiver position mostly familiar faces at the top of the list tylen wallace cd lamb uh two receivers though from from lsu jamar chase and justin jefferson sit at the top this week they're at 74 and 7300 respectively I mean, these guys have been relatively equal in terms of production. They both had huge individual games. They both only had one game this season in which they haven't caught a touchdown pass. LSU goes up against a tough Auburn defense, um, but really nobody's been able to slow down Joe Burrow and, and this LSU passing game whatsoever this season. So is it worth paying up? for one of these LSU guys and if so how do you choose between Chase and Jefferson
2: yeah it's going to be tough and I think that that might actually help keep the ownership down on, on both of these guys because them being the top two priced receivers is, is one thing in and of itself and then when you have Terrace Marshall coming back and he's he's in the mid 6,000s as well you have three really really legit players averaging over over 11 yards per target when it comes to Jefferson and Chase um, it's a difference of 54 targets for Jefferson 51 for Chase Um, and both of them ridiculously explosive, Justin Jefferson, 14 yards a target. That's, that's preposterous. Um, so I think that, yeah, we, we, we could see a situation here where, um, people are too scared to pick wrong that they end up just not picking at all. And like that that definitely makes sense in cash games, but in tournament you gotta be a little bit less risk averse. And I think, you know, choosing one of those guys, even if it's not the one that completely goes off, you do feel safe, like you were saying there, where these guys haven't really had dud performances yet. It is a tough matchup going up against mm-hmm. Auburn, of course, but um I like all three of those guys to to be able to produce
1: honestly. How do you weigh uh Tylen Wallace versus C D Lamb? Those guys are both at seventy two hundred I mean tylen wallace has had the yardage all year uh, although he is coming off of a down game against baylor which is his lowest yardage total of the season just 69 did have six catches was targeted 15 times he's got 30 targets over his last two games alone coming against baylor and texas tech but yeah, you know, the touchdowns have been a little bit sporadic. You know, He started strong, had five touchdowns in his first two games against Oregon State and McNeese, but just one now over the last four games.
2: Yeah, and I think that speaks to the earlier point about Spencer Sanders and his freshman struggles. I think that the, this Oklahoma State offense now kind of needs to run almost solely through Chuba Hubbard. And like you were saying, Wallace gets most of the targets. I mean, he's he's pretty much the entirety of that Oklahoma State passing game. No one else really getting anything done there. Um, but I just worry about this OK State offense and the, specifically the passing game kind of imploding this weekend. Um, whereas with, with Oklahoma, we're talking about a team with the highest implied total on the slate, um, 40 and a half points is their implied total. Um, people will be mad about their their CD Lamb shares from a week ago, but you just you know that that was one where they're coming off that game against Texas. It, it was it made sense to just kind of like cool off of of everyone except for Hertz in that matchup because you figured they were just going to spread it around a lot and not overuse Lamb you can make a similar case for for this k-state game but i don't think that lamb gets shut down twice in a row mm-hmm. um so if i'm choosing between those two guys uh lamb or wallace um i'm leaning lamb uh pretty much 100 percent actually I, I really like lamb in a bounce back so- spot this week more than wallace even with the ppr wrinkle here
1: yeah i mean very few receivers in the league or in the league in the country are are going to give you the upside of you know 45 plus uh um DraftKings points which lamb has already eclipsed twice you know in the last four games Looking at the college football optimizer, um, which you can find, of course, on our website. A lot of good information. Could, I cannot fucking talk. Wow. All <clears throat> um, right, just no, keep, you can keep it. Just yeah. keep recording. Um, looking at the college football op. Are we good? Yeah. Okay. Looking at the college football optimizer, which you can of course find under the college football section on RotoWire.com. Highly advise that everyone check that out you can look at the projections for this week and and not surprisingly wallace lamb lead the way uh but tyler johnson at minnesota who's priced down at 6300 comes in at number three justin jefferson who we already talked about at number four and then tamorian terry at florida state checks in uh to round out the top five he's projected for just over 20 points this week um Tyler Johnson's a guy we've talked about a little bit more in recent weeks as this Minnesota offense has, has kind of continued to pick up steam. But is he a little bit underpriced? You know, when you compare him to some of these other top guys we've talked about. Yeah, definitely.
2: I mean, sixty three hundred for Tyler Johnson is just wild. I think that um, that 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 usage tree in Minnesota it's so definitively towards him and Rashad Bateman, and there's really no one else to speak of. So even though they, the, uh Minnesota doesn't have like the most high volume. Um, attack in terms of plays per game or anything like that. Tyler Johnson is an absolute beast. And like we were saying earlier, this Maryland defense, if it can get got, it's in the passing game. So um, using a stack of Morgan along with uh, a Tyler Johnson or a or Rashad Bateman this week, definitely advisable. And at 6,300, I mean, that's an, that's an awesome price tag for a guy that you figure is going to get high volume mm-hmm. with explosiveness um, behind it. So definitely like that. Um, I also like the Pit guys a little bit. They are, they're high vol, like they're sort of like garbage production type of guys in terms of like the explosiveness and touchdowns and things like that. But uh, 6,400, 6,300 for uh, Taysier Mack and, and Maurice French, um, those are two guys that just get a ridiculous amount of targets on a per-game basis. Um, we're talking about, um, yeah, just like double digits per-game type, type of looks. So it's, it's not pretty, but I think over the course of the game mm-hmm. uh, this weekend, I think it will add up for those two.
1: Are you expecting there to be kind of a boom for KJ Hamler ownership this week? He went for thirty-two point four points on DraftKings last week. It's been up over uh twelve the last four games. You know, three of those four have been at least nineteen. You know, obviously, one of the bigger big play threats in the entire country, he's priced at sixty three hundred you know we've talked in the past about this michigan state defense not being one that that necessarily you want to go up against from a fantasy perspective we saw wisconsin kind of buck that trend uh do you think penn state can follow suit through the air
2: it'll be interesting i think that yeah that michigan state defense almost no matter what even if the offense doesn't get going the defense can always put put forth a a really strong effort there um especially if it is in east lansing which i believe it is this time around so um I understand the excitement for Hamler and I love the the price tag for him, but I think that that's going to make him a really high owned asset and pretty much like every tournament people, you know, seeing him being under 7,000, I think will immediately draw people towards locking him into their lineups Maybe you can kind of go, uh, fade him a little bit, actually, mm-hmm. this week. It's not that I, I think that Hamler's going to stink it up or anything, um, but I don't expect him to go off quite to the extent that he has in in recent weeks. Um, I think I probably feel a little bit safer about Tyler Johnson this week against Maryland um, than I do uh, Hamler on the road uh, here against Michigan State. So that, that's how I would separate myself of, of like the big-name guys um, for, for this week uh Hamler's one that I probably won't have a ton of exposure to even though I I don't think he's going to be a bust necessarily
1: any differences to be aware of uh, from DraftKings to FanDuel? I know I know FanDuel does offer the Clemson, Boston College, and Alabama, Arkansas games as part of its slate. Yeah,
2: so th- those are those are the two main differences to to look out for um, in terms of the pricing. I, I didn't see anything that that necessarily um, stuck at, stuck out um, too hard. Uh, obviously, there uh, the the pit guys, the guys that rely more on the PPR, the ones that you'd avoid a little bit more on FanDuel. You want to be more. Uh, Targeting the touchdown type of upside there, so maybe someone like Seth Williams of Auburn, uh, someone you look at because he sees 25 percent of that target share um, for the Tigers. LSU, not incredible defensively, certainly good, but um, certainly one where Seth Williams, a really talented player in his own right, might be able to get it going. Or Anthony Schwartz, also in that offense, he's just so fast that uh, from a tournament perspective, uh, he might be able to find the end zone just because because of that speed is just absolutely different and then uh when it comes to tamori ontario i know you mentioned him a minute ago as one of our higher projected guys i love his skill set i know that florida state has like a lot of chaos going around it as far as its quarterback situation is concerned but syracuse is really bad and terry's really the one constant in that passing game uh he's big he, he's you know long-limbed he can go up and get the ball explosive on a per target basis they're playing at home only mm-hmm. 5600 love terry at that, that price on on uh, draft kings
1: all right well you get a, a bit of a break this weekend with georgia on by um it might be a rough one for me on saturday i'll, I'll probably check in with you around like 2 two thirty, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk we'll to do maybe a little state of the union uh on wisconsin football at that point but uh I know Lil Yachty is in town this weekend on Saturday. Oh, is it Freak (laughs) Fest, It is Freak Fest this weekend in Madison. Uh, I I think I'm going to have to escape to Milwaukee on Saturday uh, for a little Halloween gathering. But are are you costuming up this year? Um, I do need
2: to costume up. I'm going down uh, to Chicago. Friends of mine's uh, birthday is Sunday and I'm off on Monday, so we're going to like some haunted house thing um down in suburban chicago somewhere Ooh. so it's gonna be crazy it's one of those <laughs> legit ones i paid a bunch of money for so i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about like getting like too scared Dude,
1: i hate haunted
2: houses I, i'm so jumpy as a person to begin <laughs> with like uh it it could get really
1: embarrassing really quickly so you're, for me you're doing this on sunday yes interesting okay it's so a little sunday night is this going to conflict with chiefs packers uh, um I don't think so. I think
2: it will be done before then. I okay, think it starts it starts at like five or something. Okay, so I, nice. hopefully it'll wrap up by around kickoff there. But yeah, Saturday night, yeah, I'll be looking for an excuse to just like stay in Chicago Saturday night and, get, <laughs> and
1: probably just <laughs> hightail it out of here. Uh, well, what are you going with for a costume? That's um, the real
2: question. Uh, my girlfriend and I have, and I have considered the, uh, the Polly Bleecker and Juno look that mm. that's a pretty strong couple look I, in my opinion um is that from the movie Juno as someone who doesn't yes. watch movies okay. okay, so I would be the, playing the role of michael Sarah, uh mostly just like wearing short shorts and a, and a headband, and, okay, I'm currently googling like a twig. what he looks like in that movie,
1: oh yes, yep, yeah, I okay. feel like
2: i feel like if any if nothing else i could I could pull off being a geeky skinny guy so
1: no that sure. that seems like the ideal type of costume. I always say this every year It's like you want to find a costume that one, doesn't obscure your entire face. Like you're not wearing like a gross mask where people are wondering who you are the entire night and you're not, you don't have like face paint all over and it's just going to be a mess. And two, you don't want to wear something that's like, you know, like an actual costume that you have to put on over your entire body. You know, like my, my girlfriend is con- considering, I had nothing to do with this, considering being Airbud. bud. Oh. Um, and I was like, yeah. how does a, one become a like, dog? Maybe yeah, be a sexy air bud. <laughs> and uh, and she's nearby. like, well, and I sent her a photo of, of like someone who had done that. I was like, this actually isn't the worst idea, but it it was done, the person in the in the photo had done it as a couple's costume, and the guy, which in this case would be me, was a basketball, and he was wearing this like huge like massive basketball costume that like you wouldn't be able to fit through a door frame. As like you're just going to ruin your entire night if you have to waddle around in that thing, and you're like, you're, knocking like trying to like over. Yeah, push push around to like get to the bar or yeah. something while wearing this big styrofoam exactly. basketball. Yeah, right, that's... it's going to get dirty. People are going to like get drunk and try to mess with it. Yeah, like. You, just, you want to keep it like contained to your immediate body you don't want you don't want to have like an extra foot on either side yeah
2: you're the occam's razor of of
1: halloween costumes the simpler mm. the better the the simpler exactly. the
2: solution the the more likely it is to be the yes. right one
1: you have to meet that absolute minimum threshold for effort where people who really like halloween will not confront you about your lack of effort I've i've been the victim of that for many many years you fixed that last year didn't you didn't you have a good one last year by my standards, yes. And it was Rex Kwando from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, that's <clears throat> awesome. Went pretty well. But again, pretty easy costume. You know, you just, it's just got some like safety glasses, bandana, uh, American flag pants, which I did have to special order. So I put in a little bit of effort. But, you know, I didn't have to put anything on my face. Didn't have to wear a mask. You know, I, I was I was able to move. It was very breathable. Uh, this oh, yeah. year, I'm this nobody year I'm wants to me- mess with you when you're wearing those bad boys. No, forget about it. And uh, <laughs> this year, I'm going date Mike from the office. So,
2: oh, OK, sure.
1: Yeah, I mean uh, a little bit less effort, even. But you know, I feel I feel like I've maybe earned uh, a year off given given last year.
2: Yeah, that's that's definitely a good one. One that they can give you give you a pass for for this coming year. I think the best one that I saw like out in the wild last year. Someone was Charlie Day from uh, from Always Sunny. And they we were just like at this bar, and i I look over, and this person's eating uh spaghetti out of a plastic bag out of a ziploc bag, and like they obviously asked what the spaghetti policy of the establishment was, and they said it's they're for it, so it's a pro spaghetti bar there at the Argus, and this person is just house spaghettios in public at you know at eleven o'clock on a Saturday
1: night is pretty awesome, yeah, there's so many variations you could go with Charlie Day i mean i'm thinking like you could just carry a box with a big old h written on it throughout yep. the entire night oh, that's actually a really good idea Wear
2: we're the tie and like you know just be talking about bird law and you know, logic does not apply have
1: some spray paint residue around <laughs> your nose I, I think
2: that would be the charlie that i go
1: for <laughs> night man uh, all right well you know for those celebrating right halloween this weekend enjoy that uh, and unfortunately we won't have a full little yachty recap for you next week but uh everybody enjoy week nine and we'll be back next wednesday